I'm David Manilow. Welcome to the dining table, the place where we gather to share all the good things in life. Restaurant Week is here, showcasing more than 300 Chicago restaurants. I'll introduce you to my fancy five in just a minute. Also, we'll check in with Ali Marati from the Cranes Newsroom. Our conversation gets into why the hospitality business is now riskier than ever. Plus, how does a kid from Detroit wind up creating a powerhouse South American steakhouse in Chicago? On this episode, we're hanging out with Chef John Mannion. Honestly, God, I, I remember the first time I smelled picanha beef fat dripping over charcoal was in a restaurant called Baby Beef Rubiat in Sao Paulo, and it stuck with me. And so much of like what I do at Che is kind of like chasing that. The 16th annual Chicago Restaurant Week starts this Friday, January 20th, and goes all the way till February 5th. Now, if you do the math, that sounds like more than a week, and it is its 17 days. Over 300 Chicago area restaurants with multi-course menus, $25 for brunch or lunch, and $42 or $59 for dinner. I'm not gonna focus on all 300, but I am gonna pick a fancy five. All of these have a $59 multi-course menu, and they include a Boca, Coco Pazzo, Brandi, Moody Tongue, and Nomi. And I'm gonna first start with Boca, splendid restaurant on uh, North Halstead in Lincoln Park. They're actually offering a four-course menu, one cold, one hot, an entree and a dessert, uh, three colds, three hots, including sunchuk soup or a roasted scallop or duck leg ravioli. The entrees, they're really known for their roasted chicken. I don't even know if they like me saying that because lots of people order it, but they also have a grilled pork collar and an Icelandic cod and other things. Definitely a place worthy of checking out. Next up is Nomi, who is offering a three-course menu, but they're also doing a brunch and a lunch if you don't want to do the $59 dinner. Some of the highlights for the dinner is a, a duck cassoulet or even a Wagyu beef New York strip. Uh, Nomi is a beautiful restaurant in the Park Hyatt with extraordinarily nice views. It can be romantic, it can be businessy, it can be whatever. But if you've never been to Nomi right off of Michigan Avenue, really, really lovely place to go. Number three on our Fancy Five is Moody Tongue Brewing Company. That's at 2515 South Wabash Avenue. They usually have an expensive prefix, but for restaurant week, like the others have a $59 dinner that includes everything from braised beef cheeks, crispy pork belly, New York strip steak, roast cauliflower. They have incredible beer pairings. I believe they're doing this in the bar. Uh, and keeping their main dining room over for their normal dinners. But it's a it's a unique spot that you should really try. Booty Tongue Brewing Company, 2515 South Wabash. Moving on, Coco Pazzo at 300 West Hubbard. Fabulous place for dinner. The only Italian place on our uh, list here. Jack Weiss has run Coco Pazzo for decades. $59, that's four courses. They have a fried polenta antipasti. They have shaved baby artichokes, buffalo mozzarella, salumi, all kinds of choices, house-made pasta, a uh, fish of the day, a deboned chicken or a breaded pork chop, and, and including dessert, Coco Pazzo, a really, really nice place for a relaxing dinner with friends or a date. And finally, on Clark Street, Brandi, spelled B-R-I-N-D-I-L-L-E, I hope I did it justice. Carrie Nahabedians, a wonderful restaurant. Carrie ran Naha for years and years. They are doing a potato and chickpea beignet. They're doing chilled oysters, mushroom soup, wintergreen salad, 
some duck liver. These are all choices. You don't get them all. They have a prime sirloin, a salmon, a tartan of potatoes, caramelized onions, goat cheese, and truffles. They have a uh, duck breast and a foie gras if you want some extra. Uh, so Brandy on Clark in River North, another wonderful place. So that's a wrap-up of the Fancy Five. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you can get out to a, try a bunch of restaurants during Restaurant Week starting Friday, January 20th, going for 17 days. Crane's restaurant and food reporter, Ali Marathi joins me now. And um, we're going to discuss um, kind of the financial status of restaurants in Chicago. A bunch of just kind of suddenly closed, but there's also a lot that are opening as well. How's it going, Ali? It's going great. Thanks for having me, David. Good. So you have some data. Yes. So I did this big story looking at some restaurants that had opened throughout 2022. But as part of that, I wanted to get some data about kind of looking at the recovery of the restaurant industry in general. And so what happened in 2022 is that closures still outnumbered openings in almost every month of the year. Overall, the Chicago area had a net loss of 406 restaurants. That was through the end of September. We didn't get the full year data yet. Now in 2019, that number was an, a positive 638 locations. So you can see where even though we're kind of rounding the bend on the third anniversary of the pandemic striking, we're still seeing that the recovery is not there yet completely. And that's largely because it's been hampered by inflation and other headwinds. And are some of the other headwinds just staffing? Staffing is one of them. Different waves of COVID, other things we've talked about on here too, you know, different scams that have popped up. This is kind of like one thing after the other tipping, how do we handle that, all that kind of different things that the restaurants deal with on a daily basis. Also, just new habits, people trying to pinch their pennies, all that stuff. Yeah, and it's kind of surprising some of the restaurants that have closed. It's not like, oh, these were kind of new gimmicky restaurants that just couldn't find their place. There, there's some fairly well-known restaurants, like GT Fish and Oyster, Giuseppe Tentori's place, who'd been there for a long time really quality place in River North. I know Rock Bottom Brewery just closed. I guess those took me by surprise a little bit. Yeah, it does seem kind of sudden. And I think the employees feel that it's sudden too. There've been a few others that I've written about over the past few months. The interesting thing though, is that as big of a restaurant scene as Chicago is, the restaurant operators there are tenacious and they keep opening restaurants you know, no matter what, despite the fact that food and labor costs are expected to continue rising, despite the fact that menu price hikes have not offset those cost increases, they're just sort of rethinking their profit expectations and how they get money to their bottom line. Right. You know, what's interesting. There's so many great restaurant areas in Chicago that never existed, you know, when I was a kid growing up. I had dinner in Chinatown last night. There's just a gazillion restaurants in Chinatown. You know, Logan Square, there's just like River North, you know, West Loop, you know, there's just these sections of town that, you know, just have come places for both Chicagoans and people who are visiting to just go. Oh, you should go to this area. You should go to that area. I, I would think those areas are going to continue to thrive. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, and some of those areas have been hit differently by the pandemic and all of its kind of ripple effects, right? The Fulton Market West Loop area is an example where they've got a really good, round, diverse population of not just offices, which, you know, we saw in the Loop, the restaurants there being hurt pretty bad because offices are not filling back up like everybody wants them to. 
But the West Loop also has residential. They've also had that really robust restaurant scene pre-pandemic. So, you know, people are coming there for, for multiple reasons. And that is kind of what makes a thriving area. Some of the new restaurants that opened this year have opened in spots like that. You know, we saw a lot in River North, which is a really interesting area because there were a lot of restaurants that were hurt in River North. And maybe it was those 4 a.m. bars that dialed back their hours. You know, we, we just saw a bunch of turnover in River North. But we've got some good ones that have opened up there. Indian is an example. It's Indian fine dining. They do a tasting menu, vegetarian or non-vegetarian. The M Room just opened right next to Roca Accor in River North. And it's also a tasting menu that kind of pays homage to uh, the McAllen, the Scotch whiskey. Mm-hmm. Omakase Room at Sushi-san, also in River North. So we're seeing a lot pop up there. That was over the course of 2022. So some of these, you know, that Omakase Room one opened a while ago, I think almost a year ago at this point. Correct. Okay. But again, these restaurant operators are being very specific. So Sophia Steak is one that opened up in Lake Forest. And I know we've talked about this multiple times before, but you know, their owner was telling me that they're saying no to deals they would have said yes to previously. They have to be really sweetheart deals for them to say yes, because the environment, the industry is just so much more risky than it was that they don't want to carry a lot of risk when they're opening a new restaurant. Sure. It's like, it's more fragile, but I, I've noticed a couple things. This might just be anecdotal versus data-driven. I've noticed more chain restaurants, not fast food, that are coming into town. These Japanese chains that I just talked about, Yardbird, there's another one that's opening another southern restaurant. And I've noticed that restaurants, besides closing for lunch, they also, I've seen a lot that are closing Monday and Tuesday now. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I don't have the data on that, but um, I've noticed the same thing. And it's just that calculation that they have to do to figure out, is it worth it for me to be open this day? And I think also what goes into that is making sure their employees have a break. Because as we've talked about many, many times on here, you know, the labor market is still really tight in the restaurant industry. So these restaurant operators are thinking, okay, what can I do to keep my staff? I know I'll give them an extra day off. That's the math that's going into that equation that they're all constantly calculating. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. You know, sometimes during these kind of downturns, there's like a great cleanse. Back in 08, the cleanse was a lot of these bigger restaurants went away. Super fine dining went away, at least, you know, curtailed like expensive wine lists. And I don't know what's going to happen next, but I think something might happen, especially with the staffing, because that has been an issue for quite some time. Yeah, we'll see if it gets better. I'm watching the numbers and we'll see. All right. Thanks, Allie. Talk to you next week. Yeah, talk to you then. I'm here with chef owner John Mannion of El Chase Steakhouse and Bar in the West Loop. Hey, John, how's it going? Good, David. Nice to talk to you. So, John, you and I met 24 years ago. Is that what it is, 24? 24. You cooked at what I describe as the best dinner of my life. Okay. And I don't know exactly what you cooked, but I remember it was great South American cuisine, Argentinian. There was tequila flowing. And one of the reasons or the most it always was the main reason it was the best dinner of my life is because you provided this atmosphere. I walked in with a friend of mine. Another girl walked in with a friend of hers. They ended up sitting down at our table. And one of those girls from that night on, I dated, then married, and now we have an 18-year-old son. So to this day, 
you're responsible for the best dinner of all your life and a lot of a lot of the great times in my life. So I thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks, man. You're, well, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm glad that I could be of service. That's what I was going for. <laughs> yeah, it's a it, it's a high bar. That was at Moss on Division Street. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you've had a you've had a storied career. And you know, I don't talk to a lot of chefs and restaurateurs about their past, but I've always considered you like a really Chicago guy. But you partly grew up in Brazil. I did. I did. I'm a Midwestern guy. Tell me about your childhood. So my dad worked for the Ford Motor Company, and I was born in Parma, Ohio, Parma General, uh, which is Cleveland, which is the part of Cleveland. If you're from Cleveland, you make fun of Parma. <laughs> okay. It's like the Berwyn of uh, <laughs> of Cleveland. Okay. So I was um, born there, moved around a lot, moved to suburban Detroit because my dad worked for Ford. When I was eight, we moved to South America. We moved to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And, um, that was really, you know, obviously informative to what I do today. Right. Moved back to the States when I was in just before high school, eighth grade. And then I went to college in Milwaukee. I went to Marquette, moved to the East coast for a little bit. And then I've been in Chicago since 95. So I'm not really a Chicago guy, but this is home. It feels like home, but I'm still like, I'm out there still rooting for the lions. You know what I mean? In a Bears town. In a Bears town. Yeah, but you know what, David? The, the the Bears might be the new Lions. Oof. Oh, that's some cold. Yeah, let that one settle in. I think what we're going to see if we talk football is a little bit of a power shift away from the Packers in that division. You know what? As long as it's away from the Packers, I think we can agree that everyone's happy. Exactly. Exactly. So back to Brazil. I don't know anybody who grew up in Brazil or had any experience in Brazil. So how do you, is it like, is it like childhood memories when you're cooking? When we first landed in Brazil, we stayed in this hotel called the Cadoro, which is an Italian hotel. We lived there for about two months. I was a picky little eater. And back then you flew overnight. You had to fly to Rio to go to Sao Paulo. Uh, we arrived kind of jet lag and beaten up. I'm eight years old. I'm probably a little scared. Uh, we go to have lunch by the pool. And I look at this menu. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know about this. There was really nothing that I recognized or wanted to have. And it was a pretty like standard menu, but my dad ordered us a steak sandwich to split. And I remember it distinctly to this day, man. It was like ribeye grilled salt mayonnaise, which I had always turned up my nose at. I didn't know about it. It was just something that I, I was not going to try. A tomato that was like a real tomato, crisp lettuce, chimichurri, which is the first time I ever encountered it. It's about medium rare. My dad cut it in half. The meat juice soaked into the really like profound Italian roll that they had put it on. And I remember taking a bite of it and thinking like, man, this is going to be okay. That's awesome. That's amazing how food memories stick with you like it was yesterday crazy and also how it kind of formed in some ways you know 15 years later what you were going to end up doing for your life's work Un unquestionably and i'll tell you what man i haven't thought about that story for a little while uh and you can't see me but um kind of choked me up a little bit even to talk about that with my dad yeah it's amazing yeah food is comfort and I love how you said you were a little scared. I can imagine you're eight years old. And like, 
it's going to be okay. And if you've never been to Sao Paulo, it's hard to explain like how big and just sprawling, even back then, um, it was, I'd never experienced anything close to that. But Sao Paulo is also a very metropolitan city and everyone in the world lives there. You know, like everybody trades. We don't do a lot of trade in the United States with Brazil, but it's the financial center of South America. Some of the best Italian food I've ever had in my life was in Sao Paulo. Some of the best Japanese food, the first Japanese food I ever had was in Sao Paulo. Apparently there's more Japanese people living in Sao Paulo than anywhere outside of Tokyo. When I moved back to the States and we lived in suburban Detroit, I thought that Lebanese food was Brazilian food because there's so much of it and it's just what you eat. So it was this huge awakening for me. Also, we were expats. There was not much to do. So we spent a lot of time eating, going to restaurants, being in people's backyards for churrascos. It was very, very formative. So when I became a young cook, when I moved to Chicago to become a cook, in my mind, there was always this idea that I wanted to cook South American food because those are the things that I remember the most. Um, honest to God, I, I remember the first time I smelled picanha, beef fat dripping over charcoal was in a restaurant called Baby Beef Rubiat in Sao Paulo. And it stuck with me. And so much of like what I do at Che is kind of like chasing that. That's wild. You're not only describing kind of like the South American and Brazilian food, but like a real worldview on food. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's where it takes, I think. If you want to cook something, it's got to come from some kind of experience or I don't know. You can always taste the love. You know, when I go to a restaurant, you, you can taste if somebody really feels it and loves it. So describe Elche for people who haven't been there. It's in the West Loop and it's a steakhouse, but it's, it's, it certainly has a twist. And the twist, I think a lot of it comes from your past, but for people who've never been there, describe it. It's really an ode to eating and drinking in Argentina. So when I was a young cook, uh, I wanted to cook Brazilian food or some kind of food that paid uh, tribute to that. So in 98, uh, myself and Hubie Greenwald opened up Moss. A lot of what was there was drawn from my childhood. I was a really young cook, so it was kind of all over the place. In the course of opening or being in that restaurant, we were open for like nine years, ended up traveling quite a bit to Argentina. When I got to Buenos Aires, I was like, whoa, these are my people. This is like, I love this. So that manner of cooking over live fire, which is everywhere in Argentina, it's like religion, um, I fell in love with. And I knew that when I did my own restaurant, I wanted to do a Midwestern version of a classic Argentine parajada. So that's what Che is. Um, you know, I'm not from Argentina. I've spent a lot of time there. I'm not Argentinian, but I have mad respect for what they do. I love the culture. We're not in Buenos Aires. So there's things in Che that are part of my roots too, right? Like we're in Chicago. We have great beef. We have great produce. We have great cooks. So it's very, it's a very Midwestern restaurant, but it's, it's rooted in the traditions of South America. Right. And, you know, for people who have never been to Argentina or Buenos Aires, I've been to Buenos Aires, they take their steak really seriously there. So, I mean, when you go to Argentina and it's a, it's a big steak, big steak on pizza too, but big steak place. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it is the Argentinians eat more beef than anybody. It's, it's a big part of their culture. It was, it would be kind of like if, um, everywhere in the United States, or, yeah, like it's all Texas, you know, it's all beef. <laughs> and, and, and isn't it, uh, the Fernet Cola? Isn't Fernet Cola uh, a staple in Argentina? Do you have that right? Yeah. 
Fernandito, yeah, that's uh, that's what you drink. Fernet Branca is what everyone drinks. You know, they make it there. Right. They make a version of it there. Argentina is full of Italians. Fernet Coke has always been a thing. But when the pace devalued 20 something years ago, a lot of the imports stopped coming into Argentina. You just couldn't afford foreign booze. So more and more people just started drinking Fernet Coke. Right. It's the biggest Fernet consumer in the world. Oh, without a doubt. When we were at Moss, I remember coming back from Argentina, I'm like, and I had learned about Fernet and Coke, and I wanted to feature it at Moss, and none of our liquor distributors had ever heard of it. You know, it, it used to be Fernet was one of those things that sat on next to the Galliano at a uh, old, like an old man Italian restaurant, just all dusty. Nobody drank it. <laughs> the times have changed. That's funny. Times have changed. Times have changed. Now there's Fernet bars. Oh my God. Fernet yeah. bars, Amaro bars. All the kids. So, one thing that I think you do, which is really interesting, when I was there recently, I was talking to you about it. You're taking South American cuisine and you're also you're using a, a Chicago staple jardinara in one of your dishes. Yeah. And there's, there's a whole, tell me about that. And you kind of integrate with JP Graziano and Jimmy and those guys. Tell me, tell me how that all came about. Yeah. So, like, I don't know if people from Chicago know this, but Jardinara is not really well known outside of Chicago. Uh, I remember the first time I had an Italian beef was when I moved here. And uh, I was like, wait a second, what is going on here? This is fantastic. I mean, it's really one of the world's great things. I, I've just always loved it. For that reason, when I have like a Philly cheesesteak or another kind of uh, greasy, gross steak sandwich, which I love, it's always missing that crunch and that acid, right? It needs that, that fatty beef needs that acid bomb. And so it's just a wonderful condiment. And I've incorporated it over the years in a couple different things. And when we uh, opened up Che, we were making it. Because I came up at a time as a cook when you just kind of made everything. It was a badge of pride. And uh, I made like 44 quarts of Jardinara one day. And then I walked over to JP Graziano. And it's a process, right? It's like you have to brine things and pickle and oil. Um, I walked over to JP Graziano and I got a Mr. G with spicy jardinara, which is my order. I sat down I'm eating it. I'm like, God damn, this is just so much better than anything that I've ever made. So, <laughs> you know, I like, because I've been in the West loop for a long time. I like, I called Jimmy Graziano. I was like, Hey man, do you like sell this for wholesale? And he's like, dude, wait, like come over. I'll sell you a five gallon bucket right now you know we're like two, we're like a block away so every like i don't know a couple of weeks it's like the shit, most chicago thing ever is you walk over and to graziano's hey my hey dd jimmy and uh you get a five gallon pail of sweet jardinara get a couple sandwiches walk back <laughs> but it's great you know it's great how are you incorporating in your cooking now it goes on uh, our quail dish, our quail, which is like grilled very simply. Another thing that I first came across in South America, um, quail's got a dry rub. We take, as you know, if you know Jardinara, there's a lot of oil left over. So we take that and we make an aioli out of it. That goes in the bottom. Quail, red chimichurri, and then uh, JP Graziano, sweet Jardinara over the top. It's For me, it's like, it's the sleeper dish. It's in my opinion, in my humble opinion, it is the best dish in the menu. Oh, well, I, I loved it. And a lot of that has to do with our friends at 
I, I just loved it at how you kind of combine the two, you know, an interesting type of dish that maybe people wouldn't order with some very traditional Chicago, you know, spice or, you know, condiment. And I thought it was really interesting. Great. No, thank you. You know, like I said, for, for me, it's like, this is something that I first saw in South America and it's just like quail grilled over charcoal in a, in the menu that you'd see it in South America, but like, it's got that Chicago twist and it's not trying to like make it overtly your Chicago dog. But at the same time, like this is just a great thing that's made a block away. Let's use it. So when you are a young cook in Chicago and you're cooking kind of South American, Argentinian, maybe a little slash Brazilian, I, I can't imagine you had too many mentors that were South American. Who, who did you look up to uh, when you first started and who do you look up to today? Well, I mean, my first job here was at Grappa. You probably remember it was at 200 East Chestnut. The chef there, Dean Zanella, was like, he was the man. To this day, I owe a lot of my success to him because he was very open with his knowledge. He taught me everything that he could and then some. He gave me Harold McGee's on food and cooking and said, listen, kid, if you want to like know how things work, if you can read and understand this, do. So like he he was the guy to me. Uh, in terms of, you know, people that I look up to, you know, if you're a cook in Chicago and you think that you're not influenced by Paul Kahn, you either don't know your history, or you're kidding yourself. You know, like I remember the first time I went to Blackbird, and this is when Moss opened it was about the same time, uh, sitting down and having a meal there and having my lid ripped off where it was like, oh, this is Midwestern cooking. This is, we're all doing it wrong. This is what it is. And then he did it again in Quebec where it was like, it's hard to remember this time, but to have a good restaurant, you need white tablecloths and this whole different level of service. And it was the first restaurant in Chicago that was like, this food's amazing, but it's a casual setting. It's not that expensive. So for me, like he's always been a kind of culinary hero here in Chicago. You know, as a business person, the person that I always, my favorite restaurant um, is Le Bouchon. And I couldn't be happier for what the kids are doing over there. I mean, it's just had a, it's third or fourth renaissance. But um, Jean-Claude was always, the way that he ran that place is how I wanted to be as an owner when I owned my own place. Unpretentious, willing to do anything. The life of the party, you know what I mean? Like, he was the template for me of how I wanted to be when I grew up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing a great job with Lubishan and Obelix, best new restaurant of the year. Oh my God. I mean, like it's, it's insane. And the fact that like my cooks now go to Le Bouchon for lunch every Monday, that's how we were, you know, like when I was a cook, it was like, that's what she wanted to do. So for me, like that's one of the most important restaurants in modern Chicago dining history. You know, it doesn't get all the fanfare and Michelin stars and all that. But like, if you know, you know, it's, it's a really heartfelt, beautiful restaurant. Right. Been going there forever. Let's talk restaurant week for a second. Restaurant week is just about to start. And uh, tell me what you're uh, tell me what you're offering. For us, it's got to be not greatest hits, but like we got to put our best foot forward. So, in the spirit of you know what we're just talking about, the Midwest, we're doing Italian beef. Uh, Italian beef is having its moment, as you know. We're doing Italian beef empanada with a little frisé salad and JP Graziano Giardino. Or uh, with ricotta, with uh, ciabatta. The next course, grilled shrimp, mojo de ajo. So almost like a take on shrimp and grits with polenta. Or um, this really hearty 
South American stew called locro. It's made with pork shoulder and sausage and, and squash. Um, and then the choice for entrees, steak frites. We're going to do Wagyu steak frites and uh, salmon. Choice of. And then for dessert, we have done for restaurant weeks for uh, a couple of years now. We have a coconut tres leches, which people keep begging me to put on the menu. But you know what? We're going to keep it special. We're just going to keep it for restaurant week. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's a good idea. So at least, so something something you can only get during that week. And by the way, if, for people who've never been to, to El Che, it's a cool spot where there's th- lots of theater because of the live fire. And it's a, it's a great date place. Or it's a great place to go with friends. I, I don't mean to sound like I'm you know, pushing too hard for it. But I think it's kind of like, it's, it's what a, a, a restaurant experience should be. Not just like, not only good cooking. Yeah. When you walk in, it's, it's fun for me to watch people's faces when they see the fire. They're like, Whoa, what, what is going on here? <laughs> uh, okay. Other than family, which we all well, tell me something you love. Something that I love. David, you know, I got to say, I'm feeling it this year. I love Chicago. Uh, having come through uh, what we've been through the last couple of years, uh, having done business in this town for 25 years, I'm feeling pretty, like, uh, great about our community. I've really, like, I don't know. I've had lots of conversations with friends who do business here. Uh, I went out last Wednesday with my GM and kind of, like, touched base with a lot of people. Like, it just feels good to be here, man. And uh, this community has always been special. I feel like people in the restaurant community here really legitimately are rooting for each other and care about each other. So I'm, I'm happy to be here, man. That's a great answer. Tell me one thing you can't do without in the kitchen. One thing that I cannot do without in the kitchen is probably good olive oil. Uh, the older I get, the simpler things come to me. And it's like, it's such a great finisher it can add fat and depth and acidity to things that you wouldn't really even expect uh it's something that i think that we forget to cook with olive oil has become the healthy choice but as an ingredient it can have such great mouthfeel and lend elegance to to even the most pedestrian of ingredients so i kind of always have to have a good bubble olive oil around that's our show this week. Thanks to Chef John Mannion from El Che. Remember to follow Ali Marati's reporting on the restaurant beat for cranes at chicagobusiness.com. Check out our show notes for links to all the places we talked about, including details on Restaurant Week in Chicago. The Dining Table with David Manlow is produced by Todd Manley at Cranes Audio Studio. Take a moment to give us a rating or review. That's the best way for others to discover our conversations. I'm David Manilow. We'll keep feeding you all the good things in life.